Today's message is called The Gospel is Jesus. Now, last week we talked about the gospel, and uh, it, you know, it's, it's an important message. Jesus said uh, to preach the gospel. The Bible says preach the gospel. Uh, Jesus preached the gospel. The apostles preached the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so if Jesus preached the gospel and the apostles and disciples preached the gospel, I would think that the gospel would be important. Come on. If you have your Bible or some device this morning that you can get the scripture, I'm going to ask you to turn to a few scriptures. Let's just start off this morning. Turn to Mark, the book of Mark. Mark chapter number one. And I'm going to begin at verse 14. Mark 1 and 14 says this. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, but if you have a different version, uh, we'll end up in the same place. As long as it is a Bible about Jesus, we're all right. Verse 14 says this. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, now listen to this, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. All right. Turn over to chapter 13 in the book of Mark. Chapter 13. Repent and believe in the gospel. Chapter 13. Jesus is speaking here. Start at verse 9. It says, but watch out for yourselves. For they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. For anything can happen, the gospel must first be preached. All right, a little exercise here. Turn over to Romans. Book of Romans. At least we keep going forward, so I'm not having to skip around. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans, I'm in chapter 1 of Romans. Look at, well, let's go back up to verse 14. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, Paul says both to the wise and to the unwise, so as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Why? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And lastly, if you would, turn over to Galatians. The book of Galatians. We're talking about the gospel. Gospel of the kingdom of God. Why it's important. It is important. Why is it important? Well, we'll see. 
And this is what Paul says to the Galatians after he had already preached the gospel because he got these words from Jesus. He found out how important it was. And then he made a bold declaration and statement and said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because now it's gotten down into my spirit and I understand what it's all about. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he preached the gospel to the Galatians. Now look what he says beginning. Let's just start. Let's just start from verse three. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon. Now look at what he says, from him who called you in the grace of Christ, to a different gospel. Who called you in the grace of Christ? But I marvel that you are turning away so soon to a different gospel. How many know that there is only one gospel? One gospel. The gospel is this. Here's my three definitions of the gospel. The gospel is, well, it's welcoming you just as you are. By what? Grace. By faith. That's right. Ephesians. By grace you are saved through faith, but not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. But in Christ, you must understand that without grace, you could never be saved. In fact, without grace, you wouldn't even know that you needed to be saved. Without grace, there's no way for you to turn because you don't even understand I'm a sinner. But then once you figure out, hey, I need to be saved, you have no idea how to do that. Therefore, you need faith because the just shall walk by faith. And it is impossible to please God without faith. We must have faith. But we can't just believe in anything. You cannot just believe in your knowledge. You cannot just have knowledge about your knowledge and believe in that knowledge. You cannot just uh, ascend to some higher wisdom and figure out this is how I can get in through this higher wisdom. We must have faith and believe in Christ alone because he is the only way. The gospel is not just salvation, folks, but the gospel is living our life in and with the authority of the believer given to you by the Holy Spirit of God. And when you were born again, that spirit. Gospel is for you and for your whole life. It is not an event in your life. Come on. It's not just one service. It's not a moment in time. But it is by grace you are saved. But it must always be married to faith. Grace and faith work hand in hand. There's not just a grace doctrine without faith. There is no faith doctrine without grace. And there is no grace or faith without Christ. That for he is the foundation. There is no other name by which men can be saved but through Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? Well, it is also this. It is the persistent God. Never giving up on you. He never gives up on you. We give up on each other, but God never gives up on you. 
He never gives up, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've seen, no matter where you've been. You can be as far away from God, and Jesus tried to illustrate this with the prodigal son. Now, he was far. I mean, all the way down where the pigs are. But all he had to do was come to himself and say, guess what? If I go back, my father is waiting for me. God never, ever, ever, never, no, not even ever, gives up on you. It's the persistent God, never giving up on you, always loving you, holding his arms open, saying, welcome home. You can always come home. You're never too far. You're never too far. The heart of the Father is that all would believe. The Bible says that all, God's heart is that all would be saved, that all would come to the saving knowledge and saving grace of Christ. He would that everybody in First Timothy, come on, chapter 2, it says, God would that all would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. What is the gospel? It is the life-altering news. Come on, it's news now. It's good news. It is the life-altering news that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became human. This is it in a nutshell. Lived a sinless life. Now, I want to throw something in right here. I've said this before, but not to mess up your theology. But Jesus in the flesh while he walked the earth was not in a perfect body. And therefore, if he wasn't altogether 100% perfect while he walked the earth, he wasn't perfect. Now, I know that might mess up some of your theology. I'm talking about the Jesus that walked the earth. I'm not talking about Jesus. We know him no longer by the flesh. Come on. Now he is at the right hand of the Father. He's the almighty God. He's a limitless one. Omniscient, omnipresent. But I'm talking about those years that he walked the earth. He was not perfect. Yet, he was sinless. See, this is important. This is important for your theology. He was sinless. Jesus walked the earth sinless. He died for sinners and came back to life so that humanity could have a relationship with God. That's the whole point. whole point is the relationship. This is what the gospel is all about. That we would have a relationship with Christ. Come on, it's not a moment in time. It's not one service where I felt something and I got saved and I was happy that day. And oh boy, now what? No. It's not a moment in time. But here's, if you don't get anything out of this short exhortation today, is what I want you to know is the gospel is not a doctrine. The gospel is not a saying. It's not a set of words or some passages of scripture. The gospel is all about a person. That's what the gospel is. It's not a doctrine. It's not a church. It's not about theology the doctrine of the person although that is important but that's not all what the gospel is but as we look at the gospel you must understand that the gospel is all about a person it's not about a code come on it's not some code that we have to figure out in paintings it's not a book it's not a philosophy 
It's not a bit of knowledge. The gospel is none of these things. It's not a movie that Hollywood put together with their creativity. And you see, I want you to know that I'm a person that loves movies. I really do. My wife will tell you that. I love to be entertained by movies. I love the creativity of those folks that put together stories and bring it to life on the screen and uh, books and all of those types of things. I love to be entertained. And I think that that's okay because they can take someone's script or someone's story and they can add some creativity to it to bring it to life. And then you can see the animation and all of those things. But there's a place where you must draw the line, folks. And when you have the scripture, when you have the truth of God given to you, there is no creativity that can be added to that. Now, I'm not trying to discourage you from watching any movies or doing anything that you want to do, but I just must tell you the truth. Read your Bible. Don't get your doctrine from a movie. I know we've made a lot of movies, and there's a lot of good movies. There's some, the, I love the Ten Commandments. That was a very good movie. It was pretty close. I love the Passion of the Christ, but there have been also a lot of movies that have been far off. Come on. Where they've taken Scripture and... I probably shouldn't say this, but in my opinion, maybe smoked a little something and then added some creativity to it, right? And uh, probably shouldn't say that, but you know, just, that's what it seems like to me. I'm thinking, what are you smoking? <laughs> because that is so far from what this says. <laughs> but you can't add create, you can't do this and then add some creativity to it. You know, we did the play here a few years ago, and he shall be called. One of the things that we tried to do is just stick as close to the scripture as, as possible. And, you know, I know that there are some things there because when you go through a day, this doesn't tell you every second, every moment of every minute of every hour of every day. So I, I do realize that. But at the same time, you can't add things. You know the difference. You can't add things to the scripture. You can't do that. The gospel is all about Jesus and Jesus alone. It's all about the person. You know, it's interesting how popular to me Jesus has become again in the secular world with all the books and all the movies being made now. But the fallacy is that they are in error. If it's not, and as boring as it may seem, if it's not just scripture, then it's in error. You can't add your own thing to it. Come on. But the question is always raised, and I think there's a longing, who is Jesus? Why do you see all these things now? I'll tell you why, because we were created with a longing for something more. You see, life does not satisfy us. It really doesn't. That's why sometimes we get in trouble, because we're just not satisfied with life. You're not satisfied with just everyday things. I believe that that's why our culture and our society and the world has evolved to where it is now, where everything's got to be so fast. I got to have the information right now. I got to go on uh, wiki. What is it? Uh, Wikipedia and figure out what it is. I, I need all the information now. I need to be able to text. I need to be able to email. I need the information right now. And then I'm bored. Now I got to move on to something else. It's fast food. It's fast this. Everything is microwavable now. Come on. And, and one of the reasons we've got to that is because we're not satisfied with life. But God made us that way. He made us to, to long for something more. But the problem is we fill the void with so many other things other than what we're supposed to fill it with, and that's the Lord Jesus. 
And you may say, well, if I fill it with that, I don't see how that makes for an exciting life. Trust me, I've lived it. It makes for an exciting life. <laughs> you just don't know. Why? Because he, he gives you all things to enjoy. There are pleasures evermore. Come on with the Lord. We think it's all about do, 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 or don't, don't, don't. But really, it's about done, done, done. That's what the gospel is all about. Come on. He wants us to have, he said, that I come that you might have and have it more abundantly. More abundantly. Who else promises that? No one promises a more abundant life. Come on. Jesus makes bold claims that could be fulfilled only if he was and is the son of God. The only God. See, Jesus makes bold claims that no other person has ever made. No, not only has no one ever done the things that Jesus has done, no one has ever claimed or said some of the things that he said he would do. Come on. He claimed not only to be sent from God, but also to be God himself. Read your Bible. He said he was from eternity. And he had power to forgive sin. Who else said that? Jesus clearly states that he is the only way to God. There is no other way. The claims Jesus made are irrefutable. Impossible to refute, disprove, or deny. The gospel is Jesus Christ. Now, that's, you know, this, this, this thing about Jesus is the only way, that's not too popular. It's not too popular. It's not too popular with the government. It's not too popular with Oprah. You're two superpowers right there. So when you got that going, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> not very popular at all that Jesus is the only way. Well, who do you think you are? You are so pretentious. You are so non-tolerant. Who do you think you are? You are so uh, arrogant to say those things. Who told you to say that? This man right here. I know what it sounds like. Listen, sometimes I hear it myself and go, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty bold to say that. But guess what? It's only because it's the truth. It's only because it's the truth. What can I tell you? And I tell you that other religions and, uh, you know, other sects and all of these things, they, they really don't like uh, Christianity because Christianity is, uh, you know, they, they single themselves out. And here's what I would want to tell the world is that, listen, I don't understand why you're so upset with us. I, I really don't because we make these bold claims. Because it's not like we got together one day and said, hey, let's separate ourselves from everybody else. I got a great idea. Let's just be different. You know, we don't like any of those other people, and so let's be different. We didn't come up with the plan. We weren't there when it all started. God was. And he'll be there long after it all ends. So I don't know about you, but I would want to listen to the person who was there before it all started. And not one who was created like everybody else. These are the claims of Jesus, the almighty God. And so don't be mad at me because I say he's the only way. He made those bold claims. And then he did what he said he was going to do. He died on the cross and rose again. No one else is resurrected. None of them. They're all dead in the grave. 
I don't understand why you follow the philosophy of someone who was dead and still dead. And you're going to die as well. You're going to follow them. I want to follow somebody who resurrected. How did you do that? Come on. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this gospel and who is Jesus? Well, the gospel is this. I define it this way. It is God created to be, created us to be with him. Number one. Usually don't use this, but I'm using the word gospel to, to, to define the gospel. So he created us to be with him. What did I say? You, you can't help but desire more. You cannot help it. God put that in you. He created you to desire more. And we can't find it in anything else, in any paintings. We won't, we won't uh, fulfill our longings in other places that man has created for you. There is something built into the human spirit for something more. Life does not satisfy. Things do not satisfy. You can have money, but it will not satisfy because sooner or later you'll need more or you'll need something else. And everything you get, you're bored with it. Why do you think people get new phones every two years? Pay another $200 or $400 for a new device when this device works just fine because something new came out or a new computer or a new laptop or new TV or new car or whatever it is because these things can't satisfy you. Nothing satisfies. We want something more. He created us to be with him. And then our sins separate us from God. We must know that. That's the fundamental basic of the gospel. Our sins separate us from God. You are, you are separated. And so there must be a bridge to bring us back together. Well, sin cannot be removed by good deeds. There's nothing we can do to remove the sins. All right, again, I don't want to step on someone's theology, but I just feel compelled to tell the truth. You can't say three Hail Marys and two Our Fathers and expect your sin to go away. It's not going to happen. Been there, done that. It doesn't work. It's not going to happen. That doesn't mean don't pray, but it's not magic. You can't say, depending on how bad your sin is, how, how much I pray or how, what prayers I pray and then all of a sudden my sin is taken away. Can't happen. Sin cannot be removed by good deeds. When Adam and Eve were naked, if you remember, they sewed fig leaves together. You remember? And they tried to hide their nakedness. Yet God still saw them in their nakedness because they were still naked before God because sewing fig leaves together won't hide the sin. That's the way they felt. They felt that they had to hide. Come on. Because even their deed of sowing fig leaves together could not change what they had done. And it certainly would not pay the price for what they had done. No good deed, folks, can get you back to God. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Basic tenet of the gospel. He died and rose again. A sinner cannot die for a sinner. Why that statement is so huge is because if Jesus was not sinless, though his flesh was not perfect, if he was not sinless, then there is no salvation. No need to argue about it. If he was not sinless, no need to argue. There is no salvation. But he lived a sinless life. Now, he had perfect blood because his blood was given to him by his father when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. 
His Father, the Holy Spirit. Come on. Perfect blood. And when perfect blood is shed, now all of a sudden my sins can be forgiven. But since no one else has perfect blood, no one else can forgive my sins or die in the place of me for my sins. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. We know this by John 3.16. It's quoted so much and now all of a sudden it's even a cliche sometimes. You see it at football and basketball games. They hold up the signs until it it's just becomes cliche. And there's those crazy religious people again at the game. But what truth, what depth of truth in this scripture that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Everyone who trusts in him has everlasting life. You have an eternal life. It doesn't end. No end to it. Life with Jesus starts now and it lasts forever. So here's, here's something I want to tell you. Another thing, I don't want to mess up your theology. Maybe I keep saying that, but you guys know much more than I do, so I'm messing up my own theology. I don't know, but, you know, life with Jesus starts the moment you give your life to him. He comes in, you're born again. He breathes the breath of life into you, right? And that thing is awakened. He says, wake up! And that new man is wakened in you. Guess what? At that moment, you're already, your spirit man is in eternity. You're already an eternal being. So right now, today, if you are saved, you're already an eternal being. Now one day, one day, you're going to shed this imperfect flesh. Come on. And we're going to be translated. It's appointed for man once to die. That's the flesh man. But then we go before God. Then we go before him. Beyond any comprehension, the whole idea of how to get into eternity and what happens in eternity has been totally contemplated by those who are much smarter and much wiser than I am, for sure. But the scripture says simply that those who believe in Jesus will not perish, but will live an everlasting life with him. You don't have to understand all of the atonement theology and all of the, uh, you know, judgment theology and all of these things. You don't have to understand all of that. You just simply need to believe in Jesus. Repent for your sins. Believe in Jesus and you will live an eternal life. Well, can this be? Can this be? How can it be? What is the answer after all of this searching and contemplating? Can this really be? Can it be that easy that I need to simply believe in Jesus, the grace of God, and have faith in Christ and he, he, he brings me alive, something in me. God does that. I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to say 10 Hail Marys or help three old men across the street or do 10 community service good deeds. I don't have to do any of those things in order to have eternal life. Can it really be? After all of this contemplating, after all of this searching, what is it really? Can it be that easy? Well, you're going to hope so one day, maybe when you're on your deathbed or when you are facing your natural death. Maybe your family is all gathered around and you are preparing to cross over to wherever it is you believe you're going to cross over to. I can guarantee you this, you will cross over to somewhere. Because nobody has ever broken death except one. The only one to ever break death like that 
is Jesus. Nobody else has done it. He is the only one ever who has ever defeated death and the grave. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Mother Teresa, not Nelson Mandela, not any president. Come on. No one. Not Superman. Fictitious. <laughs> Martin Luther. Nobody. Not anyone has ever broken death. Everybody faces death at some point. Don't have to argue it. There will be, listen, there will be thousands of people today that will face death and cross over. Come on, there's seven and a half billion people in this world and there will be thousands today. There are hundreds as I speak right now that are facing death somewhere in the world. It's, it's, I'm not trying to be morbid, I'm not, but I'm just saying that it, it happens one day. Only Jesus broke death. What happens then? Now I must contemplate. Okay, I must face death. What happens? Well, I see that the body decays. What happens to my mind, my will, and my emotions, my spirit? Do they all decay as well like my body? Does it really go to heaven somewhere or does it just cease to exist? These are all these questions that people have and there have been hundreds of books written about it. But I can tell you one thing, folks. The only book I'm going to believe is a book written by the only person that ever broke that thing. That's the book I'm going to believe. Come on. I'm not going to believe a book written by another dead person about death and they died and nothing happened. I saw them die and I was waiting. They're still dead. Nothing happened. Why would I believe that book that that person wrote about eternity? I'm going to believe a book that someone rose again from the dead. Come on. He rose again from the dead. I'll believe that book. All right, the gospel is Jesus. Here it is. He is Jesus, the one and only. There is no one like him. He's eternal. He's always been and he always will be. He's God's son. He's merciful. He's the sinner's savior. So if you're a sinner today, guess what? You're in luck because the sinner's savior is here for you. Just what you needed. He's the captive's redeemer. Do you feel today like there's some chains? And I hope they were broken this morning when we came to this altar and had prayer. If you felt like there were some chains, some strongholds, guess what? Broken. You got just a thing for you. Perfect for you. And it's not a universal joint. It's not something that works for you. It's, it's perfect just for you and it fits you just right. It's Jesus. He's unparalleled, unprecedented, unsurpassed, cornerstone, capstone. His name is Jesus. Come on, no one like him. There's no one like him. I was looking, reading a story some time ago about a man that bought a Rolls Royce car. And I knew Rolls Royce cars were supposedly nice cars. Well, you know, it used to be a singing group, you know, to make car wash, but then I found out it really was a car. So, and, uh, you know, it's a, a very, very nice car. And this man bought a Rolls Royce for $250,000. That's a little more than, I think I quite have that much, but he, $250,000 bought a Rolls Royce, paid cash for it, took it off the lot. 
And about halfway home, he was thinking, man, this car rides. I knew it rode nice. I heard that, but it rides really, really nice. He said, I wonder how much horsepower this thing has. So he got home and he called back to the salesman and said, hey, I just was just in there, you know, remember me? I bought that Rolls Royce and I just have a question now. And the guy said, sure, yes, absolutely, sir. What, what is your question? He said, this thing rides so smooth and so nice. How much horsepower does it have? The salesman said, well, I, I can't tell you that. He said, well, what do you mean? I, I just bought the car for $250,000 and I have a question. I want to know how much horsepower this thing has. He said, well, we don't really tell how much horsepower it has. It's, just, it's in none of our literature and all that. We just, that's something we don't divulge, how much horsepower it has. He said, wait a minute. I just bought this thing for $250,000. Now, come on. I want some answers. He said, I'm sorry, sir. I can't tell you. So the man got back in his Rolls Royce, drove back to the car lot, and he found the salesman and said, look, I paid all this money for this thing. I want to know how much horsepower this thing has. He said, well, sir, to be honest with you, I mean, I don't really know how much horsepower it has. He said, well, go get somebody to find out. I, I want to know. Now he really wants to know. First, it wasn't that big of a deal, but because they're not telling him, he wants to know exactly how much horsepower is in his Rolls Royce. So the guy says, okay, well, I'll, you know, do what I can. So he went, and uh, this was back in the days of facts. So he, he, he wrote a letter and said, I have a gentleman that just bought his Rolls Royce for $250,000. Wants to know how much horsepower is in this thing. Please respond. And so he faxed it off. And so they stood there over the fax machine, waited, had a little small talk. And then all of a sudden, the thing started ringing. All right, now we're going to get some answers. And so the fax came back through. And at the top, it said, you know, uh, Rolls Royce. And then it said, from the CEO of the company. The CEO had actually responded to this fax. True story. Actually responded to the fax. And then it was coming through, and it was just a blank page. Then all of a sudden, in the middle of the page, there was three words. First word was adequate. Then it said entirely sufficient. You see, Rolls Royce had a policy where they just didn't give out how much horsepower was there because there was so much you couldn't dream of how much was in there. They just told people it was adequate and entirely sufficient. Here's what I want to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is adequate. He is entirely sufficient. Even if you don't understand all of the atonement, uh, you know, and justification, theologies and doctrines and all of that, all you need to know is that the Lord Jesus Christ is adequate. He is entirely sufficient. He is everything that you ever want, everything that you ever will need. Jesus Christ is adequate. John 8, 24 says this. Jesus said, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. Who? The adequate one. The one who is entirely sufficient. If you don't believe that, you will die in your sins. He's imploring us. He's pleading with us. I love the book of John. I really do because, as I said last week, Jesus is just a champion to me in this book. I mean, he really, he's, I mean, I, you know, I, he says it with love and he says everything with so much compassion, but with so much conviction. You know, there's no question. When he says it, I mean, there's no argument, no question. Now, listen, Jesus had the same people that you have today. I know some of us feel like, well, today things have gotten so bad because, you know, I mean, the government and, you know, everything is so liberal and, you know, homosexual marriage and all of these things and it's all unprecedented, never happened before. Guess what? It's all happened before. 
There's nothing new under the sun. It just is maybe not in our lifetimes. This is something kind of new, but it's all happened before. Jesus had all of those Stoics and Epicureans and the Greeks and everybody that he had to deal with. Paul did too. He had all those, you know, who were very, very liberal and higher thinking and all that. He had to deal with all those just like we do today. But yet in the midst of all of that, in John 14, 6, Jesus got up in front of everybody when there were so many roads, so many ways to get to heaven. Jesus said, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the kid. It's not going to happen. You can try going a different way. You're not going to get there. You're not going to make it. Only me, Jesus said. That's a champion to me. Quote I found from this guy, Steve McSwain, who used to be a Baptist preacher. And uh, he, he, he got caught up into some higher thinking. And so here's a quote. And this really, to me, wraps up the thinking of our society today. He said, The insanity between religions must end, as well as the competition and exclusivity. This is how they look at us, as exclusive club. We are a people of many faiths, and our greatest contribution to this democracy, to God's humanity, is to model for the world what it means to live with compassion for all people, to affirm the oneness of the human race, and to respect and preserve the diversity within it. Now, when I read this quote, it sounds so right. It really does. I mean, all, all that's in there, you know, it's kind of like, can't we all just get along? You know, we're all going to the same place. It's just, you know, different. It's kind of like that by high faith thing. You know, one mountain, many paths. You ever heard that? One mountain, many different paths. We'll all get to the same place. You know, we just, we have different ways of getting there. Sounds so nice. The problem is, and, and please, if I offend you, I apologize, but I don't mean to, but it is the truth. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I can't help that, you know, that you're offended. Maybe that's, uh, you know, your, 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 your theology gets offended. You know, I don't know. But it's an error. There are not many ways to the mountain. There's only one way. There's only one name. There's only one person. There's only one man. There's only one. There are not many paths. Every path except this path will not get you to the mountain. It will not get you to where you want to go. There are not. It's it's error. It's in error. And listen, I'm not making it up. I know you might want to throw darts. You might want to be mad. Some of us Christians. But the truth is, I, I I didn't come up with this theology. The one that created me and breathed the breath of life into me. The one who delivered me. Come on. When I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Come on, somebody. Right? Come on. Very deeply staying within, sinking to rise no more. Oh, the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. And love lifted me. Buddha can't lift you. He can suggest, he can give you some very wise sayings. Confucius can tell you some things that will blow your mind. But he cannot lift you from the waters of sin like Jesus can. Jesus is the only one. Every religion in the world has a list of things that you must do in order to be part of it. Every one of them. They have a list of things that you must do. Every single one of them. 
But as Christians, we are the only one that because one man. Now, listen, we are no better than anybody else. This is what people think by making these statements. We feel like we're better. We're no better. Well, our, our flesh is just as flawed as everyone's. In that regard, we are all the same. Come on, we all have the same blood, right? The thoughts come into our mind just like they come into everyone else's mind. We are no better. It's not uh, a, a th- look down your nose or thumb your nose at others. It's not that at all. People think that, but that's not what it is. We are no better. No way. We are just as flawed, but our faith is the only one that begins with the word done. It starts there. Everybody else starts with you must first do. Ours begins with done. We cannot redeem ourselves. There is nothing that we can do. That we can't redeem ourselves and we can't redeem others. How can I say that? How can you say that Jesus is the only way? Well, I'm going to give you seven irrefutable credentials of Jesus, but I'll have to do it next week. I have to do it next week. We'll get, next week we'll get seven irrefutable credentials of Jesus that I believe will prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is who he said he is. Amen? 